Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Ryan Ladner, soon to be joined by Rex Hoggard. And folks, this one is a doozy. This is Rex's first ever trip, the WM Phoenix Open. He's amid the mayhem. I'm lying. He's actually back in his Marriott. And he'll be giving you what you need to know about the rowdiest show in golf. We'll also recap a wild week in golf. Phil going scorched earth, Spieth skirting death at Pebble Beach. A banger of a weekend on the grills uh, for Rex and myself. Oh, and I'm also good at golf again. But first, a message from Odyssey. Because, of course, Odyssey is the number one putter on the PGA Tour, and their new 2022 lineup is in stores now. Their new Tri-Hot 5K is a blade unlike any other with a classic look and high forgiveness that you would typically find in a mallet. It's already a winner on the PGA Tour. The new 11 is reshaping the mallet and redefining performance with unconventional thinking in an all-new construction. Plus, the new Toulon design offerings are developed with an obsessive attention to detail, exacting precision, and tour-proven performance. Find your new putter now at odysseygolf.com. Rex, you're in Phoenix. I'm in PVB. Soon we'll be together again at Riviera. What sort of debauchery? Have you witnessed firsthand this week in Scottsdale? You're in your son's closet. Yes. I actually thought that you were going to be the problem this week. I I figured you'd be doing the podcast from the 16th Grandstand, which is where you're hosting, uh, co-hosting, excuse me, Golf Today uh, with a friend of the program, Damon Hack. Instead, you're back at your courtyard, uh, presumably without pants on. You just probably have a beer in your hand that we just can't see at this point. Uh, and instead, I'm hiding in my son's closet because this is the furthest point in the house away from the sawing, drilling, hammering, and cursing that is going on in the living room with the uh, an, yet another construction project. Uh, I will say this about TPC Scottsdale and this week's event. I was very excited to come here. And up until this point in my adult life, as far as golf is concerned, there was only one place that exceeded my expectations, and that was Augusta National. I think most people will say that when you show up at Augusta, you just don't, you haven't been able to wrap your mind around how, how grand it really is. I feel the same way walking on property yesterday morning. I mean, it is amazing the build out. We have seen some massive build outs at the open championship, certainly at the Ryder cup when it's overseas more so than when it's here in the United States, we've seen them build small cities around golf courses. It's nothing compared to what they do here. And our set is right on 16, and we're sort of right in the middle of all the mayhem and the loudness. There is going to come a time this week. We've done two shows, Monday and Tuesday, so far this week, and it's been relatively tame. I think today it's it was like there was like no one in the stands during your show today. It was it was it was docile. Today, well, today we started filling in a little bit more. Yesterday there was there was really no one in the stands. I, I don't know what to expect on Thursday and Friday because really you can't see. But if I reach out from where I'm sitting on that desk with my left hand. I can reach the bar where people are going to be sitting, drinking, watching, probably heckling me. And that is going to, I mean, the ADD is going to be in overdrive trying to pay attention to whatever it is that's coming out of Damon's mouth. I mean, because there's a reason you guys are wearing those air traffic controller headsets. It's because you cans need to have is the audio. The, I was told cans is the technical term. Cans. Hmm. Mm. Uh, we probably shouldn't say that during Phoenix Open Week. Uh, however, you want the audio pumping into, the, into your eardrums as loud as humanly possible, and that mic uh, pressed to your lips because, yes, it, it is going to get very loud. I'm assuming the show is, what, from noon to 
2 o'clock Eastern time yes. on Thursday, Friday, leading into to Golf Central pregame, which will, of course, uh, also be on set. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to get the the Saturday afternoon raucous atmosphere, but you're certainly going to get guys who have begun their day drinking uh, at, at 10 a.m. local time. There's no doubt and It's going to be fun. And I didn't even think about this, but you're right. We'll do tomorrow's Wednesday's writer's block from there just to get an idea of the – of how big it is. And it's just not 16. I mean, once I, I walked 16, 17 and 18 with Brando Chambly, who was playing in the pro-am yesterday. And it's just, it's just larger. There's a buzz around it. I mean, you just feel like, Oh yeah, this, this is the world's largest party. That's what the internet told me, but you get there. And again, even on Tuesday, yesterday around lunchtime, it was still buzzing and people were partying and getting overserved, and you could hear the music. And I can only imagine how it's just going to escalate as we get closer to the weekend. And just to be clear, you are flying back home to Orlando on Friday afternoon, evening, and then flying back out to the West Coast to, to L.A. for the Genesis Invitational on Monday morning. So you're not sticking around for the weekend. I'm That's not true. sticking around for the weekend. I'm missing the first cut in my PGA Tour career. And I've started to second guess taking the red eye from here home on Friday because – you know, Two red eyes in 10 days? Yeah. There's, I, don't, well, I, don't care, I don't care how many blue bombers you have. That's just a bad idea. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a good idea. And beyond that, my kids are 17, 19, and 21. Like, they, I don't need to rush home to them anymore. Most of the time, I, I come bounding in the door, and I get the, oh, <laughs> were you gone? <laughs> That's very unsurprising. Uh, I mean, you're yes. racing home to, to see Yes, I'm, I'm racing home. For now, for now, my family still loves me. Uh, even my five-month-old uh, baby like still smiles when she sees me. I'm sure that'll change uh, in the next few months, and and she'll she'll grimace just just like everyone else when I when I come through the door. But for now, there's still that that very happy feeling when I when I come in, and I'm sad. I'm sad that the Hoggard household uh, no longer provides you that. We will get, of course, to your Super Bowl menu because it is it is the granddaddy of all grilling days. Yeah. I would put it. I put it probably number two actually behind Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for me uh, is actually like Christmas. It's like it's like Christmas for barbecue fiends. Uh, so we're going to get into what not only we had over the past week, but what we will have uh, on Sunday. You mentioned Phoenix Open, and it's not just a huge party. Hell, it's actually a really good golf tournament. You have 15 of the top 20 players in the world ranking. There are six of the top 10. Give me some guys. Give me some storylines that you're watching this week in the desert. I think the one we talked about on today's show is fascinating to me. I don't think I had wrapped my head around Ricky Fowler's history at this golf course. It was he played here as an amateur. I think he almost was, won. He almost uh, won in 2010. Almost won or, as an amateur. He has won here before. And as we're going through the highlights, it dawned on me that this event for Ricky Fowler specifically is kind of a, just a microcosm of his entire career. It's so many highs and so many lows. I mean, we ran the interview of when he lost here the, the first time he finished runner up. And he was so emotional. His family was here, and he knew he'd blown, blown the opportunity. And it's the only time I think I've heard him like that. And then when he won, it was the exact opposite. He was just elated. And this place, more than anywhere else, it's like, well, yes, this is Ricky Fowler's place. I mean, Ricky Fowler, he was, he was crushed a, a couple of years ago when he came close. And I remember 20 – was it 2017 that he won? It was, or was it 2018? Johnny – I was there for Johnny's final uh, broadcast on NBC, and and it was great that Johnny was on the call for that because Ricky was just bleeding. He was hemorrhaging coming down the stretch, 
And, you used the choke word during that final round? It, 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 repeatedly, just over <laughs> and over and over again. It was Johnny's final salvo uh, with an NBC headset on. It was just like the perfect scene uh, for for what would be his final call. So, so yeah, Ricky has history there. I mean, Hideki is the all-time money leader in this tournament. Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka, who apparently doesn't care about anything other than majors. Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka is actually a two-time winner of this tournament including the defending champion. Where are you on Brooks this week? I have a theory on that. And as we were talking about it today, and we, we had a long segment about what's your level of concern when it comes to Brooks. And when you look at what he has done. What, concern. Yes, concern. I'll and be concerned at the end of July if he was a non-factor in the majors. That, well, and I, but I, I kind of went the other way, but I think we're doing the same thing. I go, ask me, let, let's circle back around and talk about this in April or June or July. Like, I just don't think well, – I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, I, I, he's, he has issues. The, the, the injuries are starting to pile up. It's starting to become a concern simply because he's made it absolutely clear to maybe the detriment of some friendships on the PGA Tour that oh, the only thing that matters to him is the major championships. The other 44 PGA Tour events really aren't interesting to him. And my theory is the reason I think he's had success here is what we just talked about, the atmosphere, where you sort of have that major-like feeling – he is Drunker. a show off. He is a he yeah. is a, a he is a show off. He likes to impress. That is what Brooks Kepka does, and this is a terrific arena in front of two hundred fifty thousand people. And I think a lot of professional athletes are like that. I think he takes it to the extreme where he wants to show you how good he is. And when you put twenty thousand people on the sixteenth hole and they're all cheering and some are heckling and some are doing God knows what ounce. He wants to prove to them that, yes, I'm Brooks and I can do special things. And I think that's what happens. It's a similar switch at the major championships. But I would not – my expectations for him, I mean, they're not very high because we're not to April yet. When we get to April, then we can have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, the concern level on Brooks Kepka is is exceedingly low. And, and, look, he has not played well of late. He's actually almost tumbled – uh, he has tumbled to 20th in the world, which is the lowest he's been uh, in a very long time. You look at his his recent starts. If you exclude the Hero World uh, Hero World Challenge uh, in Three December, cuts. the 20 man yeah. exhibition, he doesn't have a top 10 since the Open Championship. That said, this is like spring training. I know that's a very sore topic for you as a uh, diehard baseball fan. Take it easy. It's a new season. Now, now, okay. now I'm paralleling your season. This is spring training for Brooks. He's getting in his cuts. No one really goes, cares if he goes one for four or 0 for three with a couple strikeouts. As long as he shows up for opening day or in the postseason, which in golf is essentially what the major championships are, then I'm not going to be concerned. Now, another guy, Rex, how about this for a professional segue? Another guy who did not have a top 10 finish since the Open Championship, who is now coming off what I would consider a high is Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, 11 shots down at the halfway point of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Obviously, he had that death-defying stunt on the eighth hole. Very easily could have tumbled to his death. Uh, to me, and I'm not sure if anything immediately jumps to your mind, that was the most dangerous shot ever hit in PGA Tour competition. I really can't think of anything else but jordan parlayed that into a 63 had a two-shot lead with two holes to play ended up losing to tom hoagie by that same margin two shots what are your thoughts on all things jordan who was seemed to be back in the wilderness nearly won a tournament maybe kind of kicked it away and now he heads to phoenix where kind of his his spirited 2021 run uh, really began last year 
I didn't have a chance to ask you this on Saturday. As I was watching it live, I was kind of like Colt Nosed, who was on the call. I was very nervous. Like I felt a pit in my stomach as Greller tried to talk him out of hitting that shot. Not once, not twice, but three times. As in, please just take a drop. For all of us, Jordan, please take a drop. But I didn't have a chance. I sh- I, this is an opportunity miss for me. I should have texted you because you being in the bag for Jordan must have been absolutely just on the edge of your seat. Like you were, you were nuts, right? I mean, that was that was harrowing. But I do, I do think, I do think the entire experience, that entire episode, epitomizes Jordan Spieth's golf, his career, his his appeal, because. I mean, that was, that was a bad decision. I, I don't care that it worked out and he ended up making par and he, he saved his life. Like that was just, it was just a bad move. There was so little margin for error there. The ball was on a downslope. His weight needed to go on his front foot, literally just any sort of off, off balance move throughout the course of the swing. He was going to tumble to his death, fall 68 feet onto the rocks. And it would have been the biggest uh, catastrophe, not just in PJ tour history, but I, think in sports history uh, seeing someone some, seeing a, a competitor fall to his death uh, while chasing the lead at a PJ tour event uh, would certainly fall under that category and yet he pulls it off he he always with his play seems like he's walking a tightrope does it not between disaster and the heroic shot and this not death he, he's not I mean he was, he was he was literally walking a tightrope here and he pulls it off that is why Fans are so enamored with him. That's why he is arguably the most compelling player on the PGA Tour because you never know whether he's going to pull off the hero shot or there's going to be just absolutely tragic consequences. Normally not like little life and death, tragic consequences as in like making a seven uh, at Augustus 12th hole. I feel like this is one of those things as a parent where you look at it and you're going, he's being rewarded for bad behavior. Because that was bad behavior, and, and the reward for him was making par. Which he was is- he was doing it in front of his parents, and he was yes. doing it now as a parent with his <laughs> two or three month old son in attendance at a golf tournament for the first time. Not not that not that young Sammy had any idea what was going on, but like as a parent, he, he even said afterward, like, "Oh my, like, boy, that was stupid. That was that was that was reckless. That was unnecessarily reckless." at a week tournament in February with nothing really at stake. It wasn't like he was in the lead. It wasn't like he was at a major championship. This is the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am in the third round when he was well off the lead. There was no need to go for it. And yet Jordan Spieth, because that is in his core, he went for it. Well, and and to your point, it was his reaction afterwards. When he sees they they did the replay after the round, I think he almost went pale. Cause he's looking at it and he's realizing that, Oh no, like I should have never done that. Like why? And I, I think somewhere internally, there was a survival instinct that kicked in, which is why he ran away from the shot. Literally, literally sprinted after, after contact. Yeah. He sprinted yeah. backward. And so I think there was something to be said for, you know, I think, it, I, I think there was some sort of survival instinct that kicked in. He knew this was a dangerous situation. I, I like his chances here this week, simply because of how well he played last week. He, he didn't get it done, which a lot of people on the internet are probably going to turn and say, well, you know, he's missing something. I don't think so. He flushed an eight iron at the 17th hole that probably should have been a seven iron. And that was the difference between winning and not winning. Because really, if he hits that, hits that shot as well as he, told Greller he hit that shot. If he's got the right club in his hands, he's probably got a birdie putt. And at the least, at worst, he's going to have a playoff. And I like him over Tom Hoagie. Yeah, look, I don't know if if Jordan saying he he flushed it was, was his way to sort of rationalize 
what was a, a clear miss club. I mean, that was a miscalculation by 10 or 15 yards. It kind of felt almost like Xander Shoffley uh, at 16 at Augusta uh, at last year's Masters where he thought he hit a great shot, ends up kicking back to the pond, and, and there he, he rinses chances to, to, to hunt down Hideki uh, at Augusta National. Obviously, the stakes were not as high for Jordan Spieth, but it definitely was surprising. And you could see Jordan leaking some oil on the back nine at Pebble Beach. A couple one-handed finishes with his driver. He was really struggling to find the center of the club face. Uh, I thought 15 was a was a birdie hole for him that he ended up uh, making a, a bit of a mess of. And, and 18, look, that is a birdie hole all day long for PJ Tour professionals. And yeah, he probably, he probably pushed a little bit trying to force the issue, thinking he needed to make at worst a birdie and maybe even an eagle uh, to overtake Tom Hoagie. And and he ended up kind of sniping it uh, into the bunker. I think when you look, when you step back, you look at the hero shot, you look at the miss club, miss hit, whatever it's going to be on 17 to Pebble Beach. I still think it was a very positive, encouraging week for Jordan. He hadn't done anything. Rex, he had not done anything since Royal St. George's Four of the last five tournaments he played, he was losing strokes gained approach, which is very unspeeth like when he's playing his best golf. So I'm I'm with you. I think coming to TPC Scottsdale, a golf course last year that he absolutely tore up, uh, including that third round 61. Yeah, I think uh, Jordan Spieth uh, can continue to roll. How about the Saudi International, the most controversial event in the world of golf? A lot of different directions we can go with this one. HV3. Tip of the cap, 92-foot eagle putt walk-off win uh, to get his second pro title, first since 2016. Phil went scorched earth and claimed that the PGA Tour's obnoxious greed is the reason why Phil and apparently so many others are seeking opportunities elsewhere. In big, Bryson, apparently he slipped and fell, injured his hip. Uh, he's still mum on his wrist, his hand and his back, which was clearly plaguing him at Torrey. What was your big takeaway from the week in Saudi? HV3, Phil, or Bryson? I'm going to go with just the competition. 92 feet. That's longer than a basketball court. That is 30 yards. It's a 30-yard yard putt. That's 17 golf courses end-to-end. I mean, uh, golf carts end-to-end. I mean, I, I just tried to put it, quantify it, put it in some sort of context. That's a weird way to quantify it, but okay. Well, I mean, uh, I, just we can keep going. I mean, I, I just it's twenty-two flag sticks end to end. Like I, I just kept kind of trying to come up with different ways of explaining it. And getting is this it. is this how you spent your pre-show meeting trying to find yeah. equivalents for this? Yeah, that and playing Wordle. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> I still can't figure out Wordle. Where do you? Is it an app? Where do you find it? Uh, you find it on social media. I find it on Facebook. You're not on Facebook because you're young. I'm old. I, and all my friends are on Facebook, so that's how we end up doing it. I'm surprised but, you didn't find it on, on your MySpace page. Yes, that's that's very funny. Keep keep going. There's plenty of jokes. It's it's rich territory right there. I, I, I just think what he was able to do in the part that got me, and again, this shows the deep dive I took in the pregame show, was everyone's going to say, well... 21 golf carts, folks. 21 golf carts. 21 golf carts. Everyone's going to say, well, Harold Varno still hasn't won on the PGA Tour. The Saudi International had a better strength of field rating than 21 PGA Tour events. So if you take the majors and the WGCs out of the mix, it was better than more than half of the PGA Tour events last year. That was every bit as good, if not better, than winning. And I can, you can fill in the blank. I'm not going to embarrass any specific tournament, but there's 21 of them where you can throw in there and say this was a better field 
than that. So I, I think that's going to in at least part of that conversation for Harold Varner. And you have to be happy for him. I mean, you and I both know he's one of the most popular guys on the PGA tour for a reason. And that would be what I what would stand out for me. The other one is Bryson. Just chill, bro. Just chill. Don't, don't talk about it. Just chill. Bryson saying he's going to return in quote, a few weeks really just seems like a poor idea to me. I mean, the masters is two months away. His game is and has been a wreck uh, for months now. His body is clearly begging for mercy. It's not just one issue, Rex, that has, has popped up. It's his wrist. It's his hand. It's his back. It's his hip. It's, it's God knows what else. It's all part of the kinetic chain when you're swinging at 220 miles an hour and you're putting Ooh. so much torque and force and toll uh, on various joints and muscles and bones and whatever else uh, he's doing during his, his intense training. He just needs to take a step back. He doesn't need to play at the Genesis Invitational, which he is currently signed up for. We'll see if he actually shows up at Revere. He doesn't need to play on the Florida swing. He doesn't even need to play the Players' Championship. I know that it is the PJ Tour's fifth major. I know that Bryson himself had an opportunity to win there uh, last year. Get right for Augusta. That's where your legacy can get made. Get, give, your, give your body time to get right. I know Aaron Oberholzer, uh, Scott Stillnate, a friend of the program, uh, he will say to anyone who will listen that you do not mess with wrist injuries, particularly with your left wrist for a right-hander. That's your lead wrist. That is the wrist that is taking the brunt of all the force, and Bryson is creating more force than any player in PJ Tour history. Take some time off, man. I know you want us to just chill. I would give the same advice to you. Just take a break, get your body right, and play the highly entertaining golf that we are used to seeing you play. Well, and I have to look at this. I, I guess I see where he's coming from, but let's let's be out front on it. Like a professional athlete getting injured, there's nothing wrong with that. It happens all the time. I'm not quite sure where this defensiveness comes from. He would have been better off just letting the noise settle down of its own accord. The second thing is, Look, we know better than, oh, this just happened because I fell down in, in Saudi. Like that, no, we know better. You withdrew from the Sony Open with a sore wrist. We saw you grabbing your back and your hand and your wrist at Toy Ponds. You didn't play the Pro-Am last week at the Saudi International. Keep going on and on. Don't make excuses. Don't tell the world to chill. Just deal with your body. And I think you're right. Like this is where someone needs to get in his ear and tell him to Take a knee, man. Everyone's always taking advice from Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods would tell him, just take a knee right now. Like, make sure you're healthy. You want to get to the Masters in your best possible condition. You don't want to be limping in there. And you could say the same thing about the rest of the major championship season. He is, you call Jordan Spieth the most compelling figure in golf. I would argue that Arguably. I said arguably. Uh, Yeah, and and I would come in, and I see where you're coming from. Certainly, Jordan Spieth is entertaining for many, many reasons. Uh, Bryson is also entertaining for many, many reasons. Some of them are negative, but most of them are positive. I think he, people just want to go out and watch him. It's bad for golf for him to continue to put himself in this position where the longevity of his career is suddenly becoming suspect at best. And look, there's so much swirling around Bryson as there seemingly is always. It doesn't matter whether he's challenging PJ Tour rules officials with internal OB. It doesn't matter whether it's the on again, off again feud with Brooks Kepka, and now with sort of these um, entanglements potentially with the Saudis, the Daily Mail, our friend Derek Lawrence said reporting that Bryson had an offer in the neighborhood of 130 to 135 Wrong. million dollars million dollars to basically serve as the poster boy 
for this Saudi-backed Super Golf League. Bryson said wrong. That's wrong. He says it's wrong. Didn't say whether the dollar amount was wrong. He didn't say whether the actual offer was wrong. Uh, all he said was wrong, just like he just said. Everyone needs to chill. I don't doubt that Bryson would, could, would, and could uh, command somewhere in the neighborhood of 100, 135 million dollars. He's still very much in the athletic prime of his career. If all goes well, he still has a good 10 years of competitive golf left in him. And quite frankly, if Ian Poulter uh, is receiving a $30 million offer from the Saudis and Dustin Johnson signed an NDA, but laughed that his uh, offer was even in the same ballpark, then yeah, uh, I think Bryson in that $130 million range uh, is certainly uh, fair to consider. Speaking of Bryson, how about his, his wingman in all of this? That's Phil Mickelson, who has quietly and sometimes not so quietly, been actively recruiting players to join him on this mission. We're not sure if we actually want to play in the SGL or if he's just trying to gain strength in numbers to leverage against the PGA Tour. But as we had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, he went scorched earth on the PGA Tour, claimed uh, that it's the tour's excessive greed in particularly withholding the millions, perhaps even billions, 20 billion is the number that Phil somehow came up with, uh, in withholding players' media rights, and that's a no-go for them. They want their cut, and that's why they're even interested in talking to the Saudis. What's your take on this, Rex? I mean, does Phil actually want to sign on the dotted line? Because he's, he's able to do so. Just jump ship right now. Or is he trying to leverage the PG Tour in a high-stakes game of chicken to see who's going to blink first? No, I think there's – I mean, let's say that whatever number it is, that was thrown at Bryson. Let's say 134 million, which is what, which would give him license to go on social media and say wrong to the 135 million dollar reports. That's that's generational wealth, and I think Phil, who has made so much money in his career, he would still be 800 million dollars. Uh, Phil's uh, net worth was was valued at. So I, I still think he would be interested by this, and I think the fact that he's being so outspoken, they're he has to be somewhere along the line of not signing. No one has signed, but he's got to be one of the ones that are probably closer than many of the others. You you pointed out something that I think is getting glossed over. I I was contacted by three different agents over the weekend who complained about Phil for a lot of different reasons. The biggest reason is he's recruiting players at PGA tour events to jump ship and to go to whatever this league is going to become. That's a problem on so many levels, and I just don't know what the tour or Commissioner Monaghan can do about it. Because you can't cannot... you find him? Can't you find him for conduct unbecoming? I mean, I guess those regulations, those rules are pretty loose. So yes, you could give it a shot. I don't know if it would stick. I mean, and... you would think you would think calling out their obnoxious greed or calling their greed "quote unquote" obnoxious would certainly. Uh lead him to receive some sort of discipline from HQ, would it not? I thought the most interesting thing about all of that is he says obnoxious greed and Brooks Kepka fires back at him saying Phil's probably not the one that wants to talk about greed. And Phil went radio silent crickets. It's like Phil feels like he's good at social media, but he knows he's not in the same ballpark with Brooks and he does not want to get into that media, into that social media. I mean, that's, the, that's the feud I want to see. I don't, that's I don't the feud care. I want to see. Brooks and Bryson anymore. And quite frankly, Bryson wanted nothing to do with that feud. Phil and Brooks are two willing participants who and have a lot Phil of free time. Phil wanted no part of it. He didn't touch it, man. Pool. 
maybe I mean, he's just maybe he's just calculating a response. Come on. If it takes you three days to come up with a response, it's not a good response. If you don't have That's something true. off the top of your head, then you've got nothing. Just just forget it and move on. No, I think he realized, nope, this is not my ballpark. I think Eamon Lynch, our colleague, said it best that when it comes to social media feuds, Brooks Kepka, this is like a blood sport to him. And Phil saw it and was no part of it. Just an assassin. He's just lurking <laughs> in the shadows and the pew, 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 just takes him down single shot. Didn't have to say anything else. Didn't have to throw any facts out there. I think the other part about Phil's comments, and Brandel Chambly wrote a column on GolfChannel.com that was really, really good addressing this, is there is something to be said. And, and I've been outspoken about the idea that, yes, the leverage that whatever this league is going to become that the players are now enjoying is important. And it's probably something that should have happened a long time ago. And I wouldn't blame any player for making the most of this opportunity to make sure that, okay, I want to see different things when it comes to the PGA tour. In this particular case though, Phil was throwing out numbers that aren't even close. I mean, specifically he talked about having, having to pay a million dollars out of his own pocket for the match. Trust me. It did not come out of his pocket. It didn't come out of the pocket of anyone who ran it. If anyone took a million dollar hit, unfortunately it was the charities, which is terrible to say, but trust me, Phil's not the one that's writing that check. But Phil, but Phil said he was. Are you saying that Phil's just coming up with various uh, explanations that perhaps might not be true? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, and I said this. <laughs> yes, precisely. Precisely. And I said this yesterday on the show, and, and I was waiting to see if there was any pushback on it, because the whole idea of Phil suddenly stepping up for his media rights, that this is important, it's, it's disingenuous because he has been on tour for 30 years and not once did he ever serve on the policy board. So don't tell me that suddenly you're worried about the good of the entire tour when for 30 years, the only thing you were worried about and for all the right reasons, but you were only worried about Phil and what you did on the golf course. That's fine, but you can't at this point in your career, suddenly step up and try to talk for the, the collective. I mean, this isn't, this isn't boxing where, where, where the athletes have more right in their or excuse me, more say in their, in their media rights. I mean, there's a reason why networks pay exorbitant amounts of money, millions, billions of dollars to broadcast the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, PJ tour, whatever the case may be. If they had to worry about a, a Tom Brady or a LeBron James or a Mike Trout trying to get a cut of some of these profits by, by claiming back their media rights, the whole, the whole enterprise would, would sink. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, be a successful venture there the networks wouldn't pony up for that because the nfl wouldn't be happy the nba would be happy the pg tour would be happy that's it, it just doesn't work that way and, and phil knows that phil's known that for 30 years that he's been on the pga tour he's not going to win that argument now are there subtle ways and perhaps not so subtle ways that the pga tour can continue to to pad the pad the pockets of the tour surface stars? sure you have this player impact program that's increasing to $50 million this year. Uh, the FedEx Cup bonus pool is bumping up to $75 million. Tournament purses, uh, including the Players' Championship, at a, at a whopping $20 million. Those are going to continue to increase, not just in 2022, but for the next decade as this media rights deal kicks in. That is still, Rex, not going to get these guys close to $100 million or 100 to $135 million, which... Bryson was reportedly offered. If you want that sort of stupid money, that blood money, you're going to have to go chase it that way. The PJ Tour is just not going to make you that fabulously 
wealthy unless you're Tiger Woods. So now, no, wait a minute. Uh, Let me flip it because you threw the blood money out there. What would be your reaction if Phil did sign tomorrow and they came out with a big react announcement, or Bryson, or Lee Westwood, or any of the players that we've heard is associated with this new league? Uh, first, it would be good riddance uh, because I don't think those players are integral to the success of the PJ Tours. So that would be my first reaction. And second, uh, they're sellouts. They're chasing not the history and their tradition of the PJ Tour, but rather these juiceless, lifeless 54-hole events that no one's going to watch, uh, no one's going to be entertained by to collect their 30 to $135 million. More power to them. You know, that's money that you and I, regular folks, can't even wrap their heads around. But if that's all they care about, if all they care about is setting themselves, not just themselves, but generations uh, of their families up to for success financially, more power to you. But it, I think it, it also shows what you care about um, in terms of your athletic achievement. I think that's disappointing. That's, that, think would, that's would be, that would be my, no. that would be my reaction. No, and I, it was well thought out for me putting you on the spot. And I think that, but I think that would be the majority of reactions. And the reason I was curious about that, because we had this conversation yesterday on the show about Phil has, for the majority of his career, been very much Teflon. I mean, you go back to Shinnecock and he hit a ball while it was moving on the green and he made a mockery of the game. And somehow he emerged and apparently he's winning the pip this year. And so nothing ever seemed to stick. And Jaime Diaz, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, was saying that he doesn't think this is going to be any different. And I think it will be for the reasons you just explained. Like this, in my mind, is different. This is this is $135 million too far in my mind. And look, obviously I understand there is a, there is a, a, a vast majority, I would say, of the population who have very set and determined um, – ideas about Saudi Arabia and where this money is coming from. It's a dirty money. Is it blood money? These are bad people. I, I get that. And there's a lot of people who are smarter than me who have explored the history of that. I, I strongly encourage people to find that on the internet. My beef is that if you are a historically great player on the PGA tour in the world of golf, if you're a Phil Mickelson, if you're a Tiger Woods, if you're a Jordan Spieth, if you're a Roy McIlroy, if you're a John Rahm, if you're a Justin Thomas, those players are not motivated by money. You ask them to a man what motivates you, and it is beating the best players in the world and collecting a trophy. The money is just a, a happy byproduct. But if that's fueling you, that says more about you than it says about what the PGA Tour is offering. It shows that your motivations as a great athlete probably are a little mixed they're probably a little outdated they're probably a little misguided at least at least that's my opinion rex so does it leave a mark if phil is that first person to step over the line does it stick at this stage age 51 uh he's clearly past his prime as a pg tour player i know he's the reigning uh, pg champion but that but that wasn't i mean that was a that was a fluky victory you look at any sort of metric uh, that 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 was a fluke past his prime does it leave a mark yeah, it'll certainly be mentioned in 30, 40 years in his obit that he, you know, at the tail end of his professional career, he he bolted for, you know, the $100 million or whatever it's going to be uh, to join a Saudi-backed Super League. And who, and who Rex, who would even knows what will become of this? Does this thing fold in a year or two? Has he been banished by the PJ Tour? Does he never serve as a Ryder Cup captain? We all thought that we were going to pencil him in 
as the Ryder Cup captain at Bethpage Black in 2025, right? Like him and versus Ian Poulter, sign us up. That's going to be great. Well, if Phil joins the Saudi League, he's not Ryder Cup captain. He's not going to be in that team room, the thing that's supposed to be uh, so special to him. So there are so many repercussions, the legal ramifications. We're not even sure well, it's the Masters. how enforceable Are we not going to see him every April will he, at, will at he the event that defines the majors? his career? These are still all looming questions that we don't have answers to, Pete, because the Saudi-backed Super Golf League is still more uh, fantasy than reality. If Phil, if I'm the PGA Tour, I call Phil's bluff. I force him to sign the dotted line and bolt for the Saudis and see what happens. Call call his bluff. Hmm. All right. What do you, do you disagree? No, call his bluff. no, call his bluff. no, not at all. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, clearly these are not the players that I would imagine that whatever they want to do with the super league, they're looking for, they're not going to get the 12 players they want to be, let's call them, call them team captains. I think eventually they could get 12 players though. And I'm just curious if that would be enough. Oh, they can get 12 players. Yes. But do you really want to watch Henrik Stenson and, and Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood and Phil Mickelson and potentially Bryson DeChambeau? Uh, I think that's that's a question worth exploring uh, compared Brooks to the Bryson, Poulter product. Brooks and Bryson make this interesting, as to, in, in to a certain degree, so does TJ. Brooks is, Brooks is, a, Brooks is a no-go. Brooks is not going to the Saudis. You, he told you that? Yes. Did you call him last night or text or talked about it at tour? He's Brooks is not going. You so he's, he is, he's out of the running. It's one of the big reasons why he's on the pack this year uh, for the first time as well. Cause he wants to improve uh, what's going on in the PGA tour. All right. Very good. I mean, you can get, you can certainly get to 12 players. I think you could get to 12 players right now. It's can you get to, to 48 to make it a, a worthwhile competition? And I think that's an answer that hopefully we get to in the next, what six months? Because quite frankly, I'm I'm tiring of of talking about something that's a hypothetical and I've and told really you this. it's and, not and going proposed. away it, for all the wrong reasons. It's not going away simply because there's there is vast amounts of money on the other side. We know that we all know that to be true. And where there's money, Corey McElroy's line to me, there's always hope, and they're just going to keep chipping away. And we're going to end up talking about this certainly until the end of my sad career, and maybe until the end of your sad career. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully that day is it's a very long ways away. And I hopefully you're not talking <laughs> about the uh, Super Golf League uh, on every podcast uh, moving forward. Rex, I want to get out on a lighthearted note because that was a very serious discussion. I think that was a very worthwhile discussion. I hope our hope our longtime listeners uh, enjoyed that. I'm not I'm not going to lie. There's two things I want to get into, Rex, uh, at this podcast, really? which has already gone which has already gone way too long. First is my golf round and my golf game. I played. On it was Monday cold and rainy. It was awful, wasn't at, it? At TPC Sawgrass for Players Championship Media Day. Thanks to my boy Stuart Moore at the tour uh, for the hookup. Had a great day. It was 50 degrees. It was raining. It was car path only. Uh, it is at TPC Sawgrass, the stadium course, which uh, I believe I've said multiple times in this podcast. Might be my least favorite good golf course I've ever played in my life. And yet I had a great time. I loved it. And you know why, Rex? Is because I finally played the proper tee at TPC Sawgrass. And that really made all the difference. It is a highly enjoyable test from 6,100 yards, not so much from 6,650, which is where I played in the past. There really is no in-between. Now, I would have liked to see maybe like a blended tee because I did run into some trouble. Uh, I'm thinking back to 9 and 14. 
15 where I hit into the water just because I hit it through the fairway. Not real stoked about that. However, made four birdies and shot 77 in what was just my second round in six months. So I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm back. He's still back. need that driver. I still need that driver. Still okay. need a stiff shafted nine and a half degree Callaway driver just to take some of the strain off of my elbow because it started hurting at the end of the round hurt last night and I can barely bend my arm today, <laughs> but he's back. Right, I'm, give me the I'm, I'm nothing. The I'm, I'm nothing. If not a Supreme athlete, uh, highlight of the round. I, I mean, there was, there was so many, I, I, I mean, I, right, give I, me I, two I highlights and let's leave it at that. I mean, I birdied five, I birdied seven, I birdied, um, 12 and I birdied 13. No. Birdied. Made four birdies. 16? I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I made four birdies and shot 77. It was a great day. And what'd you do on 17? Uh, oh, God. Yeah. It was uh, about 117 into the wind. Played it at about 130 and just wiped a pitching wedge, barely cleared the water. Uh, pin was basically back center that that pin were in in the in may where it's really firm up there if you landed up on that top shelf you'd see a kick over the back that's where the pin was and it was really soft spun it back to the front edge chipped it to eight feet and snuck in the part butt which i was very oh, wow. pleased about yeah yep what it was a great do? day so golf game so you're gonna I'm be back. ready to play again in I'm three back. weeks right uh what's in three weeks well, whatever. I'm assuming it's going to take you three weeks to recover and rehab. And well, now, no, now, even no. Last night, I was looking at memberships. Uh, I can look at, I can get junior membership because I'm under the age of forty. It's reduced rate. I'm, I'm like, I think I'm all in. Especially once I get this Callaway driver, the nine and a half degree stiff shaft. I feel like I'm all in, uh, and I can play golf once or once every week or, or once every two weeks, like, like I used to. But that's not what I wanted to get into on this podcast, Rex. Super Bowl Sunday. What are you going to make? You can't do something too messy. You can't make the grills a mess because we're leaving 7 a.m. on Monday to fly to L.A. But still, tell me what you're having for Rams Bengals. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck between two thoughts here because I did. I, I smoked chili last week and we talked about this and, and it was really good. The family loved it and it had a kick to it because I used the last of the two peppers that were growing in my garden and it was tri-tip and I smoked that. And I was very impressed with it. But to your point, I think that leaves the grill too messy. So I may just go for the easy out and just do ribs. That's not going to make it messy with the, with the fat rendering and dripping on the coals. You're going to have sauce splattering everywhere. I mean, it is messy, but it's not as messy as the chili that I made. <laughs> that, that was a That's, good yeah. lord. You don't, you don't that looked like a crime pot. scene. It was you don't, terrible. You don't, yeah, you don't, you don't have to clean a pot afterward. And, and look, you haven't, I don't think you've done ribs yet on the pit barrel cooker. Uh, you'll have to rotate those bad boys on the rebar to make sure the bottoms are not getting torched. Uh, but I, yeah, I think, I think you should go ribs. I'll be very curious uh, to see how that goes. I've had, like, I'm not going to lie, I've had a big week. I've had a big week. In the backyard, uh, we did some smash burgers on the Blackstone. I will never have another burger a different way 
then do it on the Blackstone. If you're not familiar with that, it's like a griddle surface. It's like you'd find in a diner, right? Like you put them on there, you smash them, it sizzles, it's cooking, its own fat and butter. And it's just, it's just absolutely terrific. One of the best burgers I've ever had. Highly recommended. Uh, grilled some pork tenderloin. Did some wings on the Yoder, which I absolutely love. Shout out to my boys at Yoder. Rex, I recommended a Four Rivers uh, barbecue rub. You should slather that on the ribs now that I'm thinking about it. That would be phenomenal because on wings, it has just a little bit of bite, but not too much where it's you kind of overpowering your palate. Ooh, go to Publix right now and pick you up some Four Rivers uh, uh, some sauce. If, if you're not familiar with Four Rivers, it's a, a barbecue joint in Orlando that has now sauce. And I have a Four rubs. Rivers that's closer to my house than a Publix, by the way. But I'm curious, how did you? That's dangerous. It is very dangerous. Uh, how did you? And, and I mean, Uber Eats. Trust me, it gets oh. even more dangerous than you can imagine. <laughs> how did you do the? I'm, I'm curious how you did the 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 sauce on the on the wings. Well, you always just sauce wings at the end, right? So you're cooking. I'm cooking wings at 350. No, I take that back. I cooked them at 400 on the odor. I took out the diffuser plate, so I'm cooking uh, on the grill grates right over the open flame. Cooked them for probably 30 minutes or so until the internal temperature was about 180. Take them right off, and then while the wings are screaming hot, all you do is just dump them with sauce, flip them around like you're in a restaurant, and they'll tack up in no time because – they're hot, the pores open, sauce gets right in there, uh, and you can eat them in a couple, uh, in, in just a couple of minutes. All you do is season them with your, your favorite seasoning. I used Malcolm Reed's uh, The Barbecue Rub, very basic sort of rub that gives them a, a real good color, um, a little bit of little pop of flavor, but nothing too overpowering. And then just sauce at the end, you're good to go. You would never, ever, never, ever sauce while cooking ribs over a direct flame that is how it burns you will get an off tasting wing if you do so look at you giving handing out advice walking people through temperatures it's like you're a professional at this it's almost like i'd love to do that yeah. um in like a three to five minute formal i guess we'll just have to see uh what sort of opportunities uh come up with that rex i look forward to chopping it up with you on another edition of writer's block it'll be live from TPC Scottsdale's 16th Green. Louder, the better. Make sure that mic is kissing your lips. I need to get full uh, pronunciation and enunciation from you uh, while among Thunderbirds. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Next week's edition will be live. We'll be doing it from the courtyard, Marina Del Rey, just outside Riviera for one of the biggest regular season events on the PJ Tour schedule. That's a Genesis Invitational with Tiger Woods as the host. I'm sure, eh, fingers crossed, we'll see him on the weekend. But hope you guys have a good week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Go outside and grill something. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>